The following episode contains adult language and themes. Hey everyone, Jeremy Allen here. It's probably been a while since you've heard these names. Nine-year-old Andrew Skelton and his two brothers, seven-year-old Alexander and five-year-old Tanner, haven't been seen since 2.30 Thanksgiving Day. The three missing boys from Morency, Michigan. Now, if you haven't listened to the first season of Shattered, you should go back and listen now before you listen to this episode. But if you've heard the story of the boys. The father, 39-year-old John Skelton, claims he gave them to a woman he met over the Internet. Then you've heard the story of the boy's father, John Skelton, who made his sons disappear. He claims he gave them to an underground group and that they're safe and sound. John is currently serving out his ninth year in prison after being convicted of wrongful imprisonment of his own children. He says they'll be returned to him once he's released from prison. No, I still believe they're, they're safe. They're alive and they're well. Um, I just don't know where. And I don't, unless they were playing a game or stalling, withholding that information from me until a later time, I don't know. But his supposed contact was found. You know, the person that was supposed to tell John where his kids could be found? Well, that guy's name was Mose Gingrich, and police brought Mose in to confront John in prison. Basically, I came in and called him out on his lie. If you did give them to an adoption agency, there was a disconnect between them and me. Not only did I never receive them, but I've never even heard of them until six months ago. And he, uh, he acted just mind-blowing, sad, tears started coming. He said, well, that was my last hope. That's the only thing I had left. I was always told that once I get out of jail, I can find you and I can contact you and you'll be able to tell me where these kids are. And after this contact, Mose discredited John's story. John acted destroyed and dismayed, but he always maintained that he did in fact give his boys to a group. Now again, John sits in prison and the police, they continue to search for answers. Tanya, the boy's mother, is still wondering what the hell happened. Who's going to get the last laugh? Really? This is not a fucking game. John Skelton's family members have backed up John's story the entire time. His mother, Roxanne, last time we talked to her about a year and a half ago, she stood firm. Do you believe that to this day, those boys I are fine? I believe those boys are fine. You believe that or do you want to believe that? No, I believe it. I believe it full. In my heart, I believe it totally, 100% that them boys are fine. The part about the family standing behind John, well, that's where we're going to start this update. So I just thought I'd give you a call and check in. I'm still doing good, drinking beer and all that other good shit. <laughs> That's John Skelton's father, William. Oh, he goes by John just like a son, but for the sake of clarity, we're going to call him Senior. Last fall, I called John's parents, Senior and Roxanne. Now, Roxanne, John's mom, wanted no part of any of this. But Senior, he was talkative. 
How, how's John doing? Uh, he's maintaining. I did go up and see him. I told him I'd never come back. Oh, really? Why? <clears throat> well, that was a sort of a private conversation and uh, too much bullshit. We were getting word from people that John's family heard and saw some of the coverage that we were doing and that that coverage may have opened their eyes to perspectives and thoughts they hadn't yet heard. He's hiding. He's hiding information. What is, I kind of got a speculated idea what it is, but uh, only myself and uh, uh, Mr. Brewer are um, conversing on it and we're not letting any of that information out yet. Mr. Brewer is Lieutenant Detective Jeremy Brewer, who is the lead investigator on the case. He stays in contact with everyone involved, including John Skelton's family. This revelation that Senior says his son is withholding information sounds a lot different than the last time we heard from him back in October of 2017. I'm 100% confident that the course we took is well planned. You're 100% confident that your son is telling the truth. Yes. But now... Well, I'm not going to say he's not telling the truth, but I think he's telling the truth, but the the truth, the whole truth, the whole story, and other things concerned, um, he's hiding. Huh. Wow. How how does Roxanne feel the same way about it? Yep. Huh. Because, wow, so, yeah, that's, like, that's a lot different than the last time I was down there talking to you guys. Um, oh, yeah. So, so can I ask what what changed? What, like, what happened between now and then that, that made you guys think otherwise? Uh, we sat back and looked at little bits of information here, there, things, events that had happened, and... Uh, I said, okay, based upon all things, I will go see him because I wasn't otherwise I wasn't going to go see him. Period. Huh. And uh, I, I says, okay, I'll, I'm going to I'm going to put together my pitch to him, and I did. Uh, I voiced my opinions and things back and forth, and basically I told him it's it's time to uh, put the whole story out there. Not just bits and pieces that are probably the truth, perceived to be the truth, but you've got to put the whole story out there and until that happens. And um, Mr. Brewer and I are up here to see you make that you know, happen. I probably won't see you again. Well, was that hard for you to make that decision, though? That you Hell were just no. done? No, was not. Huh. Why wasn't it? It seems like being a dad, it'd be difficult to make that decision. Maybe for some dads, yes. For the betterment of the whole big picture, you got to take a stand. And I did. Huh. I took that stand, and it was the ultimatum. Either you, you know, you come up with and when you got enough information out there. So this is a crucial moment, or at least it has the prospects of being a crucial moment. Imagine yourself being vilified, 
Everybody in the world is against you except for your flesh and blood. And after nearly a decade of being cut off from support, from respect, from love, from everybody else, the only source of those things, your family, they walk away from you too. About the time that we um, did the podcast and worked with, uh, worked with you guys on that, it, uh, it was so much good press and so much good information that came out. Um, I think that really helped um, with the family. Helped, uh, um, I think it taught them a lot of lessons and it opened their eyes to you know, how John had been acting and things he'd been saying. They visited him. And um, so over the course of the past year, year and a half, I think we've made some very good progress. That's lead investigator Jeremy Brewer. Uh, we sat down not long ago, and we discussed the Skelton family's about-face. A lot of the things that were being uh, portrayed in the media were different. The stories that John told were different than information he originally gave the family. And to their credit, they wanted to come up and talk to him face-to-face to see, to see and to say, you know, what, what's the truth? What's the truth? What is the real truth here? And um, after leaving that meeting, I think they felt the frustrations that I feel, is that they um, were, are being told lies. They're being misled. And all, for what reason? All just so John Skelton can try to still portray this innocence or this, this victim-type mentality. And he always has a woe is me. Um, um, you know, no one cares about me. No one believes me. But yet he never once has information that is helpful about the boys uh, that he provides. And so I think their family is also very, very frustrated and are, are also just slowly... Um, kind of removing themselves from this whole situation. And I don't want to speak for them because it's, it's their son and I can't imagine what they're going through. They've been, they've been helpful, um, they've been responsive, but I think they're also so frustrated that they just don't want to deal with this anymore. You've seen a lot of situations, I'm right. sure, where uh, maybe someone is completely isolated from the outside world, mm-hmm. family, everyone just was like, we're done with you. Yeah. Psychologically, what can that do to somebody based on the experiences you've had? A lot of it just really depends um, on the psyche of that person. Um, the more we find out about John Skelton, the more I find him to be the ultimate narcissist uh, and someone that really all he cares about in this world is himself. And when that is someone's DNA, someone's makeup, when they get... Uh, you know, when their feet get held to the fire, when they get pressed or when they feel pressure, you resort back to kind of who you are. And when that is the narcissism and when the selfishness is really all he's about, uh, that's what we see displayed from him is nothing about the boys, nothing about feeling sorry for his family for going through this, nothing about doing this to an entire community, nothing about doing this to to Tanya and her side of the family. It's all about John Skelton and why he's not being treated better in prison. He never asks about the boys. He never asks or wonders how they could be doing. Sometimes he even refers to them in the past tense, or he has. And that tells us a lot. Tells us a lot. One thing that's come up recently in the Skelton's conversations is that The cell phone, well, the tracking showed it going through Ohio, and that becomes very important. Now, this isn't new information. We've known about this since the beginning of the investigation. If you've heard the story that we've told, then you've heard this part of the story, the cell phone pinging in towers down through Ohio. Well, why that's important, I'll let Senior tell you why. I did one little thing. I said, you know, that uh, part of this, 
whole situation occurred in Ohio, and they do have a death penalty over there. Huh. And rumor control has it that they have a, now have a vested interest in your whole situation. And when you get out of here, per se, at this 10-year mark, it's they're liable to come up and ask for jurisdiction on it and possession of you and try you for murder. Well, this is a very interesting dynamic because Morency, basically the southern border of Morency is Ohio. And due to the information that's been out there for years with John's uh, cell phone tracking and the pings uh, going into Ohio, um, if we can get information that um, the boys went missing in Ohio or he crossed state lines, um, and if something tragic happened to the boys in Ohio, then that's very much a possibility that Ohio could um, be the one where charges are sought. And they do have the death penalty. So we don't throw those things out there to try to intimidate John or to try to threaten him with that. It's just the reality of the, of the investigation is that uh, we know that he crossed, or his cell phone crossed state lines the night they went missing. And he's never given us an explanation of why that was. Senior made it clear that he does still believe that the boys are alive and safe somewhere. He thinks his son is definitely holding back certain parts of the story, though. John Skelton's mother, Roxanne, and his sister, Lucinda, they've actually visited John more than Senior. But even their patience is starting to waver, especially John's sister, Lucinda's. Yes, the last visit she had with him, uh, well, his sister went up there, too. And uh, the sister, Lou, she kind of, I guess, walked out on him also. Huh. Cause just because he's just so stubborn. stubborn in some respects, and I think he's scared in other respects. A bit of time would go on, and nothing more would come from Jacksonville, at least not publicly. I called Roxanne again, asked her if she would talk. She said no thanks and hung up. I get it. This can't be easy. And then things would quiet down almost to complete silence for a bit. But then a tip came in. And I think that the area we're going to, we know that it is some kind of body of water. We believe it's a pond. And That's WDIV reporter Sandra Ali. Her and I and a photographer, we headed to the area of interest on a cold spring day. Well, we know for a fact that the tip that came in to police um, put John Skelton in this area, in his van. Were the boys with him? We don't know, but we know as far as time and place, everything seems to link up. And we know that they're searching this area for the first time within the course of this investigation. Right. As we're driving to the site, we're talking, and I'm wondering what we'll see, what we'll feel. I can't figure out what to hope for. On one hand, you obviously hope for closure for the family. And on the other hand, this isn't the closure that anybody wants. I feel like there have been so many twists and turns in this case that it's so hard not to get emotionally wrapped up in it. And it's, um, but my gut tells me, you know, that it could go either way. And I know that that's not very telling. Um, I feel like you just don't know at this point. 
We're headed down to Holiday City, Ohio, or just two miles northwest of that town. If you remember, that area, Holiday City, was a spot police and FBI searched in the beginning of this investigation a lot. But not here, not on this specific property we're headed to. Oh, it kind of makes me sick pulling up, though, doesn't it? For sure. Is that Brewer? That is Brewer. Mm -hmm. All right, we're here. Uh, where's good? Don't want to get in your way. Probably just maybe up by my car, my black car there. I'll maybe right up in front of it. Okay. Perfect. Oh, there's some Paula here. So here's what the scene looks like as we're starting to pull up. It's a palette of browns and yellows. It again was a cold spring day. And the farm that we're driving up to, it's bare. It hasn't started new growth yet. We're driving up in between two rows of police vehicles. There's Michigan State Police, there's Ohio Police, kind of all mixed together. And on the side of Highway 20 is the giant Michigan State Police mobile command truck. It's huge. There are a couple of boat trailers hanging off the back of police SUVs, and there's a canine unit. And to our left, well, that's where the pond is. And it's much bigger than I thought, over a football field wide, a couple football fields long. So again, it's bigger than I imagined. It's very surreal to actually It is be very surreal. All right, let's get out. As we step out, Officer Brewer greets us. He starts explaining what it is we're looking at. So when the dive team gets in there, they're going to shoot the sonar, run the sonar, uh -huh. and then basically uh, once the sonar stuff is done, then they're going to... Motions toward the pond. There are three officers wearing black police coats and winter hats. Beyond them, the water and the boat carrying two more officers and a dog. The dog is moving back and forth across the boat, looking down at the water. As we watch, Officer Brewer begins telling us why we're here. This area is very important to us with this case due to the fact that um, we know that uh, the morning of Black Friday, uh, you know, sometime between 4.30 and 6.30 in the morning, um, you know, John Skelton, or at least his phone, had left the house in Morency and traveled towards this area. So any tips that we get uh, that are relative to that time of day within the, those couple days um, in this area are very, very key to us, and that's why we're doing this today. And this is Highway 20 it right is, here? yes. Okay, so why is Highway 20 significant? Well, we know that John Selton's, uh, his cell phone, the, the pings and the GPS locations we got uh, was about 20 to 25 miles uh, this direction from Morency, and so Highway 20 obviously runs in this area, and so anything, again, anything we get that's, uh, um, close to that hot zone, we call it, we're going to uh, attack it, you know, as hard as we can. So what leads us to this today? What uh, we, can you tell us We about? received a tip um, from an individual who had never come out with this information before. And basically, um, the long and the short of it was is the, the, the information provider believes that she uh, saw a van matching John Skelton's, uh, the description of the van he was driving, the minivan parked on the side of the road here on Thanksgiving Day, uh, the day before the boys went missing. Right here. right right here, right in this direction, yes. Uh, basically, I'm watching the dog, watching the dog work. He's trained to um, pick up on decomposing human remains. Michigan State Police Sergeant Dave Yount and his canine partner, Lightning, they're going to search fields, wooded areas, and actually ride on the boat. We were told that he can actually pick up a scent in, through water. Like, through, like yeah, so what, with, with um, 
water searches, it, it's not that he can smell through the water. He's, he's smelling for uh, gases coming to the surface of the water. So he's smelling, decomp he's smelling gases that come to the surface and then are released at the surface of the water. He smells those and he reacts to them. I read those behaviors and I, and I pass that on. I'll mark them on like a GPS or I'll drop a buoy into the water and then it helps our, our dive team narrow down searches and things like that. And the canine search is only part of what's happening here. There's a full dive team ready to go. Right now we're attempting to locate uh, missing persons from the skeleton boy case. This is Sergeant Randy Peros. He's a Michigan State Police Marine Services team commander. We are using both the cadaver dog as a search tool to potentially locate any type of uh, material, or uh, in, excuse me, also using the uh, side scan sonar out in this uh, pond, uh, attempt to locate any larger type objects in the pond, kind of also give us an idea of what the layout of the bottom looks like, uh, so that when we do put divers in, we've got a general idea of what, uh, what's on the bottom. Sergeant Peros mentioned sonar. Now, police use the sonar to see what the naked eye cannot. And how it works is multiple officers get on to a boat. One of them holds a rope over the side of the boat, and on the end of that rope is something that kind of resembles a submarine. And what this submarine does is it emits pulses. These pulses bounce off whatever solid matter is down below the surface of the water, and then those pulses come back to the submarine. The submarine then transmits those signals to a computer, and then the computer basically illustrates what the bottom of the body of water looks like. Bodies of water seem to be where a lot of things are found, whether that be evidence, the actual bodies. Uh, a lot of things can be hidden in water. Um, if they're weighted down, it's, they're just out of, out of, out of view. People aren't gonna run across them. Officers expect this to take an entire day, possibly even two. Sandra, myself, and our photographer, we all head back to the van for a moment just to warm up. My name is Ben Baldwin. Last name is B-A-L-D-W-I-N. Officer Ben followed us back to the car for a moment. I'm a deputy with the Williams County Sheriff's Office. Ben remembers when this whole thing happened back in 2010, and he remembers officers searching this part of Ohio. I am very familiar with this area, this yes. this is your neck of the woods. This is my neck of the woods. This is where I grew up. From but. everything that I've told, from, or everything that I've been told, from everything that I've read, from everything that I've been involved in, you know, it makes sense. I think it's a good idea that we're here. If, if you don't check it, then you never know. Sure. So, how, how aware of, of that this specific case is everyone around this area? Very, yeah. very aware. Oh, really? Yes. Um, I mean, this was where we're a small community, so everybody kind of knows everybody. Um, the family was specifically from from this area. I mean, even just up into Michigan, you know, you still have people coming down here, relatives that live up that way, or, or whatever it may be. Um, it's been all over the papers there's still the flyers up with uh, you know pictures of what they look like now the aged pictures the computer generated pictures so it's still something that is being thought of looked at hoped for prayed about you yeah. know in, in people's minds around here and I think it's I think it's just human nature that we all want closure even if it's not 
even if, you know, I'm not related to the family at all whatsoever, but I've been around since this started. I want to know what happened. I want to know, you know, what's going on. Sure. And anytime, anytime you get these, these new tips or these new pieces of information or, you know, all the, the, you know, this is being investigated now or that's, you know, it's this investigation's kind of leading us to there. You get that, I don't know, I don't want to say shimmer of hope, hope for closure, right. uh, obviously, um, but the interest is still there. I mean, it intrigues people. Officer Baldwin was blown away when he first caught wind that this pond and this particular property were going to be searched. When the sheriff came to me and said what Michigan State Police was hoping to come out and do, it you don't understand the impact that it had on me to think I was here when we searched the river, which is a few hundred feet away. Um, I was here when we searched this dead end road back here. And to think that we were so close and we never searched this body of water, it's like, I, you know, I don't know. It's mind boggling. Yeah, I have no idea why. I know a lot of the other surrounding ponds and bodies of water that we searched that are within probably two miles or less of a radius of where we're at right now and why this one was never searched, I have no idea. The afternoon was starting to slip into dusk. Enlightening, the canine that sniffed through the area was about to get back into his cage. Sergeant Dave Yount was about to call it a day. There's one back here. Yeah, I'll, I'll guess it was one of the guys here. What's yeah. your takeaway from today? Uh, what do you mean? Like, what, what do you feel like today's a success? I mean, how do you gauge a day like today? Well, I mean, to me, a success isn't until you find something, but to me, it helps the detectives, okay, this area, because I'm confident of this area. Um, and I'm confident that the detectives can rule that out and it helps them, all right, let's move to the next tip. Let's, so I don't know if it's a success, but it's definitely a help in, in maybe the, the, the big picture of the mission. So it's a success when we find something. That's the way I look at it. Sergeant Young was sure that the boys were not here at this pond. He has that much faith in his partner, Lightning. The dive team, they were coming out now too. They looked straight faced, no expression. No signs of any evidence that would suggest the boys were here or otherwise. Officer Jeremy Brewer kept his feelings about the lack of answers well below the surface. I can't imagine what he's feeling. No closure. Again, no sign of the worst possible end for the boys. Um, and at this point, I think they're gonna be wrapping up for the day. Um, didn't find anything. Um, and that sometimes can be discouraging, especially when you have a good, credible tip that you think it could be very, it was very plausible um, that, uh, you know, John Skelton's van uh, was here on Thanksgiving Day around that time, 2010. Um, but we just keep pressing on, you know, we, uh, we can't live and die with every tip. We just have to keep uh, doing what we do. And uh, we just really hope that people that have information still come forward. The officers packed up their gear, their boats, and eventually themselves. The search here at the pond was over. Cool, man. All right. Perfect. I would ask Tanya about the search and searches like this. 
as you would expect, she's happy they didn't find her boys in that state. And later, I would catch up with Tanya again, because there was another update. According to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, this is what Andrew Alexander and Tanner Skelton may look like now. New age progressed photos came out. The boys, they look like young men in these pictures. I saw them here. During this interview, Tanya sat at a table, just looking through all of the years of age progressed photos. We're now over here. I've lost all of that. Never in 2010 did I think that, you know, eight and a half years down the road that we would be sitting here doing this. Um, I really thought that, that the resolution would have happened. Officer Jeremy Brewer continues to work every tip and angle on the case. He has no plans on moving on or giving up. The number for the tip line is 517-636-0689. Um, that will uh, make its way right to me. And, um, you know, if you have any information, I would love to talk with you about it. And, uh, you know, we'll investigate whatever we get. If there are any updates on this case or any other shattered story, well, you'll get that update right here. So... Stay subscribed, tell a friend, leave a review. You can see the video from the pond search and see the age-progressed photos on our Facebook page. Just search Shattered Podcast. Also, we're going to have exciting news about Season 4 of Shattered very soon. Until then.